Hoorah. All right. Do we have any uh, oral communications from audience on items not in the agenda? Items not in the agenda? No, we don't. Okay, good. Um, we have no planning commission meetings minutes ready, so we'll go right to our first item. Two you zero. Need to do a roll call or not? Oh yeah, I guess I need to do roll call. Go ahead. Thank you, <laughs> Chair Gutierrez. Present. Vice Chair Poikert. Present. Commissioner Gilbert. Present. Commissioner Esbander. Present. Commissioner Gonzalez. Present. All present. Two vacancies. All right, we'll go to our first item. Two zero two two. Dash zero 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 three. Good evening, Chair and Commissioners. Uh, the first item tonight was a uh, continuance of conditional development permit number 2022-0003 and precise plan of design number 2022-0002. Um, there is a uh, brief report and an attachment that has an email from the applicant that requested another continuance of this item to March 6, 2024. Uh, applicants still going through their conditions of approval um, and uh, need some additional time to sort that out before they're ready to move forward. So the staff recommendation is to continue the public hearing open to March 6, 2024. Okay. So do we need to reopen it again and uh, continue it? Mr. Chairman, at, at the last meeting, uh, the hearing was opened and it was continued open. So it remains open. You can uh, proceed with the recommendation from staff. It will yeah. be continued open. There's no need to reopen it. And to get uh, a motion to, to continue. Do we need to do a motion to do it or we do? No, you, you, you would need a motion to continue it to a date certain. What was the date again? March 6th, 2024. Okay, they have a motion. I'll make a motion to continue this item to the 6th. March, 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 March 6th. March 6th. March 6th. March 6th. 6th. Yeah, we got it. 6th. Second. Second. Favor? Any opposed? Okay. Yep, no problem. <clears throat> okay, we'll move on to our next public hearing item, and uh, each of you should have a copy of the presentation in front of you. Uh, this is an uh, application that's been filed by Chick-fil-A, Inc., and the file numbers for reference are Conditional Development Permit Number 2023-0008, Precise Plan of Design Number 2023-0008, and Environmental Assessment Review Number 2023-0011. Uh, the first slide here, just showing you the project location. You can see on the map there, I've drawn a red boundary around where the project site is. And the project site consists of a 1.85 acre portion. Uh, it's a part of a larger parcel, 5.15 acres, but at this time, the um, applicant's only developing that 1.85 acre portion. It's located at the northwest corner of Foothill Boulevard and Larch Avenue. Um, this site has a general plan land use designation of a specific plan and a zoning designation of Foothill Boulevard specific plan. Uh, within the Foothill Boulevard specific plan, it has a land use designation of commercial pedestrian. Um, as you can see from the aerial image here, um, to the north is a single, of, of the overall project site is a single family track that was built uh, sometime in the 1980s. And then to the east, uh, on the east side of Larch Avenue, is the Foothill Grove residential community that was built in 2021. Um, and then to the south across Foothill Boulevard is a county transitional assistance fa uh, facility. And then to the west are various commercial developments within the Tudor Plaza Commercial Center. 
Um, so what the applicant's proposing to do is on that 1.85 acres develop a 4,823 square foot restaurant building um, that will have drive-through service. Additionally, they'll also have a 658 square foot covered outdoor patio area and then also develop uh, associated on-site and off-site improvements, including paving, landscaping, uh, and whatnot. Uh, next slide, this is showing you the site plan. Um, as you can see there on the image on the right of this slide is the site plan. The building will be placed near the Foothill Boulevard frontage. Um, then the drive-through will enter more on the north side of the site and go around parking areas and lead up to the east side of the building. You've got parking areas there on the north side of the building for up park with parking spaces for up to 91 vehicles. Um, the drive-through will provide stacking for 40 vehicles. This is a double lane drive-through, uh, just to ensure that additional stacking uh, capacity is provided uh, to, to meet Chick-fil-A's uh, needs and demands. Um, and as far as the drive-through speaker location, that is going to be more at the southeast corner of the site. It's going to face interior towards the building to avoid having noise uh, pointed directly towards any of those residents. Instead, it'll be pointed towards the west, towards the Chick-fil-A building. Um, there will be two driveways that'll provide access to this site. I've indicated their locations with the red arrows here on the image. Um, the first driveway will be on Foothill Boulevard. That's actually an existing driveway. It's a shared driveway with the development to the west. It's 30 foot in width. Um, and that provides uh, left in and right in, right out access currently. Um, and then the driveway on Larch Avenue will be a new driveway at the north end of the frontage, and that'll provide full access onto Larch Avenue. And then additionally, the applicant will plant landscape planners throughout the whole project site, and I'll show that in a little more detail in a subsequent si slide. And then they'll also install an underground infiltration basin in the center of the site for uh, stormwater management. Um, next slide, this is the, covering the floor plan. Um, you can see the floor plan on the right side there of your image. Um, the building will have a articulated footprint. Um, as you can see, kind of, it's, it's not rectangular. It's kind of pop-outs, ins and outs all over on all four sides of the building. The interior layout you can see also there on the floor plan. The seating areas will comprise the north and west portions of the building. Uh, customer order pickup area will also be on the north side of the building and the kitchen and work areas will be on the south and east sides of the building. Um, there will also be a play area on the kind of the southwest corner of the building, and then the covered outdoor uh, patio area is also on the west side of the building. The main entrance will be on the north side facing the parking areas, and then the drive through window, as I mentioned earlier, will be on the east side of the building. And next is the architectural design. Uh, this is a 3D rendering of what the site would look like this is a bird's eye view, but we're looking northeast. So if we were, you know, on foothill looking northeast towards the site, this is what we would see. Um, from this image, you can see uh, significant wall plane articulation, both vertically and horizontally, that have been in incorporated into the design um, with wall plane breaks that have uh, between 3 and 10 feet in depth on all four sides of the building, height variations from 21 feet to 28 feet, uh, varied roof forms, where we have the pitched roof forms on both the north and south sides of the building. Uh, the exterior finishes will be comprised of stucco finish. There will also be concrete tile roofing, um, decorative canopy columns, uh, light neutral colors that uh, match the uh, character of the uh, Chick-fil-A branding, and then also metal eyebrow accents on all four sides of the building. 
Um, this is the landscape slide. Uh, the landscape coverage is proposed at 22.3%, which exceeds the minimum requirement, 5%. Um, that primarily comes from a 10-foot landscape setback along Foothill and then a 23-foot landscape setback along Larch Avenue. The applicant will also install uh, landscaping within the public right-of-way parkways, including the uh, treatments required on Foothill Boulevard, which are the tree wells every 40 feet. Um, the planters will consist of drought-tolerant plants and trees every 30 linear feet with, uh, within the site and an abundant amount of shrubs and ground covered throughout all those planters. That kind of concludes what the proposal is as far as the layout and design. Um, next, I'll just go into the traffic study that was prepared for the project. There was a uh, traffic impact analysis report prepared by Lynn Scott Law and Greenspan engineers. Uh, the trip generation within the study indicates that it's estimated the project will generate up to 1,691 daily vehicle trips with 161 uh, trips in the a.m. peak hour and 119 in the p.m. peak hour. The traffic study analyzed four intersections um, and the study concluded that all four of those intersections would operate at an acceptable level of service upon completion of this project. Um, when it did factor cumulative impacts, there was anticipated one impacted intersection. That's the intersection signalized um, the recommendation within the traffic report was to, uh, in order to uh, address that deficiency, is to install a new traffic signal. Uh, the applicant will, as a part of the project, pay a fair share fee towards that future traffic signal. Their fair share fee is estimated at just about 30%. The dollar amount would be slightly over $193,000 that would be paid prior to issuance of a building permit towards that future signal uh, when, in fact, it is needed. Uh, the project uh, before you tonight, it does qualify for a, a CEQA exemption, specifically 15303, new construction or conversion of small structures, and a notice of exemption form has been prepared and is attached to the agenda report. The project is consistent with the commercial pedestrian land use designation, the Foothill Boulevard specific plan, the city's design guidelines, and the existing commercial uses to the southwest of the site. This uh, project will improve, uh, develop and improve a vacant commercial site with the highest and best use allowed in the, in the commercial zone. Public hearing notices were mailed to all property owners within 660 feet of the project site and the public hearing notice was published in the San Bernardino Sun newspaper. We did receive one uh, letter from a neighbor uh, this morning. I've passed out copies uh, to each of the commissioners and a copy is also available up here at the dais for the public to look at. Um, it is a, uh, a letter comprised of various residents that live to the north of the site, and the letter indicates uh, support uh, for the project. With that, the staff recommends that the Planning Commission determine the project to be exempt pursuant to CEQA Section 15303, and then adopt the attached resolutions approving both the conditional development permit and the precise plan of design. And that concludes my presentation. If you have any questions of staff, and then also the applicant is available in the audience. Okay, let's open the public hearing first. Do you have any questions, Pat? Yes. Go ahead, and then we'll get the applicant up here. Question, the, uh, the 193000 is that what a signal light costs now at an intersection, or is that just a fair share? That's their fair share. The estimated cost of the signal is $650,000, and so uh, Chick-fil-A's uh, fair share of that is about 30%. They'll, they'll be feeding about 30% of the traffic through that intersection, and that will be their fair share cost. I have a question. Um, I know you, you showed where the uh, driveways are. Where will deliveries be made to the uh, property? 
to the restaurants. Delivery, like their food deliveries yeah. that they get? Yes. Yeah, so uh, the trucks would access the site uh, via primarily the Larch Avenue, uh, and then they would make their way through the site in order to uh, pull in in front of the building, then unload, bring in their, their supplies. They do have a service door at the back of the building uh, that they'll be able to um, probably use either dollies or pallet jacks to, to bring in their, uh, okay. their goods. Thank you. Okay. Would the applicant like to speak? Good evening, Chairman, Commissioners. Thank you for being here. My name is uh, Steve Schwartz. I'm with Chick-fil-A. Um, our address is 105 Progress, Irvine, California, 92618. Um, I, Daniel's been a great uh, team member on this project. I'm excited to have this opportunity to chat with you. Um, our team is here to answer any further questions that you might have, but really just excited and just wanted to take the moment to say thank you for your time. Yeah, I have one question. Is can you can you go into the detail maybe the, the um, your plans on how to really mitigate the traffic? Because your your restaurant's very popular, I'm sure you know that already. And the, the concern is like we have we have one in Renaissance and it's it fills up the whole parking lot. Yep. You know what I mean? And then we have an in and out by the freeway and it pretty much I don't know how the other applicants don't complain nonstop. I mean the other uh, tenants Ten. there. But what is your plan? How have you really looked at this property? To sure. Now, we, we learned a lot, especially after COVID, um, just the amount of cars coming through drive through restaurants. And so the design of this location is significantly different from the one at 210 and Ayala. Okay. Um, that particular one for the drive through specifically um, has basically two approach lanes to an order point, And then at that point, it merges to one lane to come around to the window. The new location and all the designs and, and uh, operational changes that we've made internally, um, this has two full lanes all the way around the building. Uh -huh. So not only can we queue a lot more cars within the physical lane, but the existing location in Rialto ha can handle about 20 cars plus or minus within the physical queue. This one's close to 40, so about twice the size of what you currently are seeing. Um, but in addition, operationally, we can serve Sorry. We can serve um, guests in the outside lane and the inside lane, both at the same time. So we can pull cars through the, um, the drive-through system while still providing that great guest experience the best we can. Um, so it really operationally improves things, but also just the physical number of cars that we can handle in the queue. It's designed that way. Just double the volume, basically. Correct. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Okay. All right. That answers my question. Any other questions? Nope. Thank right. you, sir. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Do we have any requests to speak on this item? Uh, no, we don't. No? Okay. Move to close the public hearing. Second. Okay, no one's opposed. All right, do I have a motion? Uh, move to determine that the project is categorically exempt pursuant to CEQA section 15303, new construction and conversion of small structures and to adopt the attached resolution exhibit L and M, thereby approving conditional developer permit number 2023-0008 and precise plan to design number 2023-0008 
and allowing the development and use of a 4,823 square foot restaurant building with vehicular drive-through service and a 658 square foot converted outdoor patio on a 1.85 acre portion of a 5.15 acre parcel of land, assessor parcel number 0128-571-26, located at the northwest corner of Foothill Boulevard and Larch Avenue, subject to findings and conditions therein. I second it. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? No one's opposed, unanimous, thank you. Thank you and welcome to Rialto. I know you're all very excited to sit here and listen to the city attorney give you a report on something you probably all know all about already. You've, you're all owed hats at this, done this for a long time. So I am not going to read all of these slides to you. I'm not going to insult your intelligence to do that. Um, I'm going to use this as kind of a jumping off point to discuss what I think planning commissions and councils really want to know and need to do. And that's how to work together and how to communicate to each other. It never comes as a surprise, and it won't come as a surprise to you gentlemen, that sometimes the Planning Commission doesn't agree with how the council's going to agree on a particular project. It happens. What I want to talk about tonight is how the Planning Commission best makes defensible decisions. I say defensible decisions because that means a decision that Robert and I, the attorneys who might challenge an eventual decision, uh, have the capacity to defend what you guys have decided. And there are a number of reasons that we want to talk about facts, talk about evidence, talk about decorum, and there's a process on how to do that that I think will help the Planning Commission make decisions that are defensible when we come up to the city council. So if you have any questions as I go along with this, please interrupt me. I will try to move through this as fast as I can. So if I get rolling too fast, stop me, I'll come back. But I am respectful of your time tonight. Let's see, let's see if I can manipulate that. There we go. All of these things that are up on the slide here, the role of the Planning Commission, judicial review, findings, conditions of approval, even conducting the meeting, all blend into how you arrive at a defensible decision. And I know that they might not seem like it, and I know sometimes maybe we have unruly members of the audience or we have disagreements on points, but even decorum can be a factor in how a decision becomes defensible. And I'm not here to stifle any of your views. I'm here to talk about how do we channel those into the right kind of decision that's, that's defensible and that people have to listen to, okay? 
the council would want me to remind you that you're a subordinate body to the city council and that of course you have to follow their procedural rules. We have a new ordinance that's in the municipal code now that will require all of the commissions, not just planning commission, all of the commissions to follow procedural guidelines that are set by the city council for that particular body. If there aren't procedural rules for that particular body, you follow the ones that are in, uh, that apply to the city council. Um, I would ask that maybe Colby or Robert uh, provide you with the rules that currently the city council complies with. They're in a, a resolution number 6773, and they were adopted July 14, 2015. Uh, during my tenure here, the clerk and I and others have worked to come up with new procedural rules that haven't been adopted yet. So it's some, that's the best we got. Uh, there's not a lot of magic in them. Get them, read them. If you have any questions, ask Robert or me about them. All right. I've covered the have-tos on that. Now let's get to the two points right in the middle. Your playbook for making defensible decisions are the policies, ordinance, resolutions, rules and regulations adopted by the council. They're in the municipal code, they're in the planning and zoning portions of the municipal code, they're in resolutions, they're in design guidelines. And why do I say those are the playbook? Because, well, like it or not, we all have to play by the rules that are adopted and on the book. You might not like them, we might disagree with them, I'll talk about how you comment about those, but those are how we have to frame our decisions. Except where you have a little bit of discretion, and I'll talk about that too. Um, I know you all know that, that you have to work as a majority, at least your decisions. California law requires any ordinance, well, most ordinances, uh, some require a fourth vote, but most ordinances you're gonna deal with have to have a majority, so three of you have to always vote for, to adopt a resolution or recommend an ordinance. Council's gotta adopt an ordinance by at least three, so keep that in mind. It's always the rule of three. Oop. I need a little, uh, you know, drink holder up here. <laughs> You have a difficult job. You get a lot of material to review. It's technical material. It requires a working knowledge of the zoning ordinance. It requires a working knowledge of the design guidelines. It requires a working knowledge of the subdivision map act. That's things that Robert and I have been working on for over 30 years each, and we still have to go back to it all the time. So there's a lot of technical information. Your staff is here to help you with that, but I would encourage you to also really become knowledgeable about it because when you become knowledgeable about it, it helps you ask the right questions and it helps you look for the facts that are in the staff report that either are there or aren't there. And those facts are gonna be very important. They're the most important thing to a defensible decision, whether they're there or not there. I'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, you basically have two roles. One's uh, a body that makes recommendations and one's a body that makes decisions. The city council has delegated a number of decisions to you. You get to make decisions and approve or disapprove 
variances, conditional use permits, and a number of other types of planning vehicles. Some of those you make recommendations on, zoning ordinance, general plan amendments, anything that's legislative. Those go to the city council. But you get to look at the facts and base your recommendations on those or your decisions on the facts. So sometimes you'll have a recommendation that you want to make to the city council. Let's say it's on a, uh, an element of the general plan, the land use element, or a new zoning ordinance. You're going to adopt a resolution that either recommends that or recommends changes. So that's one vehicle where you speak to the city council and your comments are expressed in terms of here's a recommendation for how we think this would work better or we agree with the way that staff has laid this out. That's, a, that's an important power and so when you're recommending something that Colby and his shop have put together with regard to let's say uh, a particular zone for a particular property or how, uh, what the density range in a particular residential zone should be in a particular area you're going to have thoughts on that and then you get to express your recommendations in that resolution that you're going to pass but that has to be framed in terms of the facts that you've heard your consideration of people in the audience their impact on that you take all of that you put that in the in the resolution and so i would encourage you that when you get those opportunities look at those things well in advance and have questions to ask Paul or Colby or you know Robert over there um, why is it this way you know don't just say oh, okay it's this way why is it that why does that work the best you always get to ask why as a planning commissioner or how how does this work and if you don't think the facts are there to support that why that's a legitimate concern that's something you can convey to the city council hey I know this is proposed we don't think it's workable because ABCD always those articulation of facts that's important let's say that your no, let's just take warehouses warehouses have been a point of contention uh, at a number of planning commission meetings and city council meetings and let's just use a hypothetical in which the planning commission thinks that there should be a particular direction on warehouses an ordinance about warehouses. Um, you can express that by denying a project, but that's difficult because you gotta live by the facts and the laws and the rules and regulations that are in place. Planning Commission does have the ability to address letters to the City Council. You all can have Colby agendize a discussion of a letter to the City Council about a particular policy or zone and make recommendations to the Council in a letter that is approved by a majority of you. You would debate it, you'd discuss it, you would include the facts as to why you think that that's there, you'd work on it with staff a little bit. That's a legitimate communication method to the City Council and I will, I will say that it is Hello, Madam City Clerk. It is a far better mechanism than denying a project that you 
don't like uh, and just having it overturned by the, the city council. These things that are important to the community, you're on the front line of that. You see these largely before the city council does. So you have a real opportunity to be able to express your opinion in letters to the council approved by a at least a majority of you that say, hey, I think there's a need for action here, and here's why, and here's kind of what we think it is. I would encourage you to use that vehicle sometimes. All right, what's another role that you're, you're going to do? You don't, get to, you don't get to make the rules. You don't get to legislate. <laughs> you don't get to adopt laws. Planning committee, or the city council gets to do that. But you have this other critical role, which is the decision skip ahead a little bit, quasi-judicial actions. Many of the actions that you take, the decisions, the CUPs you approve, the PPDs, things like that, they're called quasi-judicial actions. Why? Because you're acting kind of like a body of judges. What do judges do? Judges apply the law to the facts. That's exactly what you do in quasi-judicial actions. Quasi-judicial actions are very difficult to deliver some kind of message to the public <laughs> or to the council. You're really constrained by the laws that are in place at the time. Where do you have discretion? Well, you have discretion in how the facts are interpreted. A couple things to remember when we're doing a, a quasi-judicial action. Who are you really talking to? Who's the end audience here? It's the court. You're not talking to me, you're not talking to the public, you're not even really talking to the city council. You're trying to make a decision that's gonna get past a court, a judge. And that judge is gonna be very precise in the application of facts to the law. That judge is not gonna consider things like, I don't like it, there's too many of these, it's ugly, it's not the best project. I don't care about that. What they want are facts that are based on the findings that you have to make. Uh, when Daniel did his presentation on Chick-fil-A, he put up a slide that showed a couple of the findings that you have to make. Now, we get into a routine of saying, oh, those findings are made. Well, staff has to do a lot of work to get to those findings. They had a finding, which is supposed to be a statement of fact, and there should be a bunch of factual analysis below that. And so when I say you have discretion on the facts, who looks at those facts to make sure they're all there? Staff thinks it does, obviously. But you have discretion to exercise and look at those facts. Has staff adequately supported that finding? Are there facts missing? Remember, I talked about facts that are present and facts that are missing. If you look at this stuff closely, you can say, well, look, I think that there needs to be a little information here. Or maybe we've, you know, hey, look, we've nailed this. There's plenty of information here. Do you have to pull out facts to do that? If there's something missing, what is it? Is it a traffic count? Is it, a, is it, is it some information on a drive approach? Uh, is it information on noise impact? Something like that, right? We've got to talk in those terms and articulate and ask staff, hey, are the facts here? What do we have? A lot of these things that you see come with documents that are this high, right? And who goes through all of that stuff? I mean, it's impossible to read all of that stuff in the what, two or three days you have to do it. There's a wealth of facts in there that these people can pull out for you. Ask them, hey, what does it say about air quality? 
What does that mean? How is that good for the project and the surrounding community? Or why isn't this drive approach the best way for the, as the developers presented it? You always get to ask why, and that's part of your discretion. Your discretion isn't to make laws. It's not to impose overly burdensome things on the developer. It's to ask important questions about the impact and the functionality of a project, and that's perfectly within your purview to do. Last thing on the slide is show your work. Show your work is an important phrase. <laughs> if you've ever done math, uh, especially if you've had any kids or grandkids that have to deal with Common Core, you've you got to show your math, right? You've got to show your work. That's what the court wants to see. When you make one of these findings, the court's not just going to say, oh, well, they made the finding. It must be true. No, what a court's going to say is, all right, where's the factual analysis that supports that? And so when you're looking at a project, whether you want to support the project or deny the project, you have to look for facts in the record and say, this fact and this fact helps me support that I can make this finding to pass a project. Or this fact and this fact show clearly that we can't make this finding. We should deny the project. You need to look at it at that level. I know that seems kind of granular. It's a little bit. I would always encourage and have all of my planning commissioners, when you, after you read the staff report, immediately go to the resolution that recommends supporting or denying it. And look at the factual analysis that's done on each one of those findings. And see if you think it's adequate. If it is, fantastic. If you think it can be stronger, talk about how it could be stronger. If you think that there's things missing, Bring up why you think what's missing and why that's important. And staff will help you along with that thought process. And that will help you show your work. That's showing your work. And so when we're talking about a project, instead of saying things like, well, I don't like the look of that project. Well, why is that? Does it not meet the color palette? Does it not? mesh well with the surrounding or neighboring development? Does it block line of sight? Is it just saying it's just ugly, really doesn't work? We've got to come up with some better aesthetic terms for that. So get a little more granular when you do those. Judicial review. Most of your decisions, if they go to court, are going to be by means of a writ. It's a, it's a legal type of pleading that really means the court isn't going to bring witnesses in. Instead, they're going to look at the administrative record. What's the administrative record? It's all that paperwork that you've looked at that's part of your binder in your decision. It's the minutes of your decision. It's your comments, that of the planning or the city council and the judge. That's what the judge has to base their decision on. And so your discussion of a project is very important because your discussion helps add those facts and pulls those facts out into the record for the judge to understand how and why you all made a particular decision, either to a support or deny. So it's good to have some kind of um, discussion of the good points or bad points of the project. Now you get you know Chick-fil-A in here, there's nobody in here opposing it, staff's done a good job. Nothing wrong with the decision you guys made. You went through it, meets all the, meets all the requirements. It's a good business, you're done. 
you know that that's not every project that comes before you. Some of them are tough, right? Some of them don't clearly fit those parameters. Spend some time with those. When it gets to the court, the court has uh, a standard that it's going to make a decision on, and that's essentially no prejudicial abuse of discretion by the planning commission. That means, did you stay in your lane? Did you stay within your role as a quasi-judicial or as a recommendation body? If you're adding things to a project that court determines to be legislation, it's going to fail. Your, your decision's not going to be supported. If you're adding conditions of approval that don't meet the legal standards, your decision's going to fail. And so we've got to be careful about those things. Planning Commission's decision must be supported by the findings. I've talked a little bit about matching the facts with the law and the analysis. That's what we mean by finding. It's telling the story of the how, the why, to the judge. Bias. Your conduct, the statements you make, both outside of this room and inside this room, about projects specifically, can lead to bias. Bias means that you're no longer objective. You're now clearly favorable or unfavorable to a particular project. And if you exhibited that previously, uh, for example, maybe you've been quoted in a paper or a newsletter or something like that several times saying, I, you know, this project will never go forward. I'm absolutely opposed to it. Well, you certainly have a First Amendment right, but what that means is now you've created a situation where the developer can claim that you were biased, and because you were biased by making those statements, they get to throw the whole decision out, your decision denying the project. So be very careful about those kind of judgment-laden statements that you might make about a project outside of your proceeding. When you're in this proceeding, I don't like this project, and here's why. Remember, always that, here's why, A, B, C, D, okay? Outside of the pro outside this room, don't comment on the project. Don't, don't talk to the newspaper. Don't, don't get in some, you know, uh, HOA newsletter. You want to you wanna always remain objective. You always get your opinion, but you get to only express it here, not outside. And that will keep you free from bias. No conflict of interest. You've all been through your AB 1234 training about gifts and property related and things like that. And you know if you believe you have a conflict of interest, you call Robert, you call me, we'll walk you through the conflict analysis ahead of time. Please, ahead of time. Because conflict analysis, unfortunately, isn't simple. It's like doing a tax code problem. There's a rule, and then there's a sub-rule, and then there's a caveat to the rule, and then there's yet another exception. So give us some time. We'll work with it. Why is not having a conflict important? Well, because if you vote on something and you had a conflict of interest, it's a reason to throw out your decision. It doesn't make it defensible for us. Bias, not a defensible decision. So we want to stay away from those things. All right, a little bit about what evidence is. I think you're all probably familiar with or at least heard the term 
substantial evidence. Every decision this body makes has to be supported by substantial evidence in the record. Again, the record's all that pile of paperwork that you've seen, your minutes, all goes on to the council, right? The record has to have actual facts in it or validated, substantiated opinions that support the findings. And so there's some things to consider when you're, you're talking here. Um, what's evidence and what's not? Objective facts are evidence. You know, this wall is probably not good because I don't know what shade of blue that is. My wife would say it's something different, but I'm gonna call it, but right? this is a glass window. Everybody knows that's a window, right? That's glass. I like that color, that's not a fact. Reasonable assumptions predicated on facts. Robert can lead you through what those are in the middle if you want to know what kind of inferences you can make. Uh, we know that staff provides you a number of facts. There's a lot of facts in the reports that you get. You can rely on those. You can use those. Uh, both sides, pro and con on a project, might bring up experts. They might be CEQA experts, or they might be engineers or architects. Um, their opinions are going to be considered facts by a court. Members of the public can stand up and provide you testimony. Unfortunately, any Joe Blow like myself who shows up to city council and I give my opinion or I talk about facts might not be evidence, might not be substantial evidence because I either have to be stating a, an objective fact we can, which we can verify, or if it's just my opinion or my belief or my feeling, that's not something we can act on. And you know, many times we'll get members of the public, well-meaning, 100% have the right to express their opinion and their feelings about a project and how it will impact it. Unfortunately, we have to draw facts out of them. Okay, I hate the project, it's, you know, it's gonna ruin my life, it's gonna devalue my property. Okay, well, what specific things about the project are going to cause those things? Do we know that it's going to cause excess traffic? Do we know it's going to create noise? Is it going to create um, air quality problems? Right? And somebody says, well, yes, it's going to create air quality problems. All right, well, you'll probably have an air quality report in that big stack. You get into that and you see what kind of air quality problems it's going to have. Or if, it's, or if the report says, nope, no air quality project, get that expert up here and say, look, I want to talk to, this, talk to you about this report. Why isn't this an air quality? What standards did you use? What tests did you do? That's, that's doing your homework on a project and doing your work here and there to support a defensible decision. All right, talk about findings, commission-directed findings. Not frequently, but you know, on occasion, you will all disagree with staff's recommendation. And instead of, let's say, deciding to deny a project, you want to approve a project. <coughs> in order to do that, you have to do a lot of homework right here in this room using these folks and, and Robert to help you develop the substantial evidence 
It's going to be in the record. Okay, that's facts. Not we think it can be better or we don't like it. Forget about that. We're going to approve it because here's the facts that meet this finding, this finding, this finding. It's a difficult job. There's multiple findings you have to meet in order to approve every project that comes before you, and each one of those has to have facts that goes with it. They're here to help you put those in place, have that discussion with them in this room, because then, then it's on the record. Then Robert and I can go back and develop a new resolution supporting that decision. That's how we make a defensible decision. Take the time, go through those facts, help them develop it. Make for a long meeting sometimes, but that's a good defensible decision. The how, the why. Uh, I mentioned substantial evidence. I remind me I didn't tell you what substantial evidence is. And it's kind of silly, really. Uh, uh, a famous judge one time said that it's more than a scintilla of evidence. Scintilla is this tiny little thing. So it basically means some evidence in the record. It doesn't have to be overwhelming, not proof beyond reasonable doubt. There has to be some evidence in the record to support your decision. It's a fairly low bar. I always say, well, what does substantial evidence in the record mean? It's whatever the judge says it means. Because a judge will decide, yeah, I think there's evidence or there's not. And so we have to aim for that little bit higher bar of what we think a judge is going to read. What's a judge going to say to support my decision? What kind of facts are in here? Go through the record, look through that stuff, come up with a couple key facts, make sure those get recited and talked about on the record. All right, all right, we're moving. Conditions of approval. Pretty common for a project to come before a planning commission and you'll all decide, you know, we're almost here, but the community has raised some valid points about the impact of this project and we think a couple conditions of approval will put it over the top. You have the discretion to do that. You can, you can add conditions or recommend conditions of approval to a project, but they have to meet these legal tests. Uh, has to support a legitimate public purpose. We can't deny viable economic use of property. Usually we only get into that if we're talking about zoning something as open space. Or yes, we're going to allow you to build instead of the 50,000 homes, we're going to allow you to build 100 and the rest of it's going to be open space. We're going to get sued over that decision. Right? That's Robert will keep you away from that. The next ones are, are important. You've heard nexus and I'm sure you've heard rough proportionality. Under California law, and state law or uh, national law, frankly, uh, every condition of approval that you impose is not a standard condition, unique to this project has to have a rational connection to the project. It can't be completely unrelated to the project. Uh, for example, you have a residential development that's going to come in and you say, you know, your project would be great if we could just get you to build a swimming pool over in that in the high school. Okay, that's that's not there's no rational connection there that's obvious. You'd have to really draw that connection. And it also has to be roughly proportional. In Daniel's presentation tonight about Chick-fil-A, he mentioned the uh, fee for stoplight. 
$193,000? So that's a condition of approval that staff has reviewed and done a analysis to determine that $193,000 is roughly proportional to the project's impact related to that. And you can always ask questions about that. How is that determined? How did you determine that? Valid question from a planning commission. But they have to end up being roughly proportional. In some cases where, let's say, you want to impose the full cost of a stoplight intersection on a project, um, you're going to have to determine whether it's roughly proportional. Are they the only ones that are going to use it? Or if five other projects are going to use it? Five other projects are going to use it, probably not roughly proportional to make them do the whole cost. Unless what? Unless they're the first ones in and it's got to be built. And then we'll do a reimbursement agreement for the rest of the other property owners. So be mindful of that. A nexus, the rough, you know, rough proportionality and Rational connection, that's a nexus. Fair hearings. How we run the meeting, how we listen to the members of the public is important. How we treat the applicant and the opponents is important because we want to be able to show the court that there aren't any due process violations. That means everybody gets a fair hearing. And a fair hearing means you listen to people. Uh, that doesn't mean they get to go on forever. You can set reasonable time limits on, on people, but in these quasi-judicial proceedings and public hearings, you want them to be able to get their full argument out. They don't get to be repetitive, be polite, let them have their say. If they start saying things over and over again, the chair can rule them out of order because we've already heard that. Thank you very much. What's your next topic? So you do have the ability to do that. Again, we talked about being biased, impartial, don't prejudice, uh, ex parte communications. It's common that you might get your packet, you know the city very well, you might drive by a particular site, you might even get out and walk it. You might even discover some facts about that that you think are relevant. You might talk with the developer. All of those things are okay, but with a caveat, you can't make your decision based on those if you don't talk about them and share them as part of the public hearing. So if you go out and you visit a site and you've got, man, this, this really, in my mind, you know, it's too close to this uh, school or it's got this huge drainage problems I don't think this is appropriate site for it. You need to share that on the record. You need to say, look, I went out and I visited the site. Here's what I learned. Here's what I think. I talked to the developer. Here's what the developer told me. Do that during your public comment section. Now, you know, the standard rule is we would say, don't talk to the developer, please. But it happens. You're going to use anything. You've got to say it on the record, OK? through that okay I am not going to go through any of the parliamentary procedure things I sure you all know it you make a motion you second those motions uh, Robert's more than happy to come in and give you a whole presentation on parliamentary procedure at any time that you would like last slide just a couple tips 
Um, review the agenda packet as soon as possible. Already hit on that. Uh, if you think you may have a conflict, let us know as soon as possible, preferably days before the decision or the, before your meeting. Uh, we're always here to help be a resource for you. I, I'm sure Colby and his staff are as well. Uh, don't assume that statements made by applicants or opponents are correct. Remember, they're selling when they get up here. Whether it's the applicant or it's an opponent, they're selling their point of view. Your job is to cut through the sales pitch and get to the facts of it, and you can make a decision on that. Um, opinions must be supported by the facts, and oh yeah, the other one I like is, uh, everything you say here is in public record, it's gonna go in the minutes, and microphones are always on. And so, when you're up there, one of the things is be, be attentive, don't be on the phone, you know, don't do sidebars, and you know, I've had commissioners fall asleep, don't do that. I've had judges fall asleep, don't do that. Why are those things important? Because it gives the opponent to your decision some arguments. Hey, look, they weren't even listening. They weren't paying attention. We didn't get a fair hearing. I mean, this is a due process clause problem, so we don't want to do that. And that's it. I'm happy to answer any questions, if you have any. Yeah. If not, I, thank you very much. I got a few for you, Mr. Vale. Sir. So, so you said def defensible probably about 12 times, so I, I appreciate that and to get, get these opinions. And obviously we know, um, well, I know, I clearly know, I've reminded a, a few times that we are appointed by the council and the council is the, the final decision body to do that. But obviously we're not just a simple rubber stamp group. We're supposed to be looking at these things objectively and asking these tough questions. So let's say we come into a situation where we're in disagreement on, um, based on the facts, what's presented, and instead of denying it, can we, would it be appropriate to hold it up and in, in wait and continue it for another meeting to draft the letter, to send the letter of opposition with it at the same time, or to send the, you know, vote it down and then follow up with a letter later? Uh, no. Um when I'm talking about doing a letter to the council, it's a recommendation, it's on a, a change to a zoning law or something you think should happen unrelated to a specific project. Oh, okay. You don't want to send an opposition letter to a particular project. Yeah, I didn't think create, that's what I was clarifying. It's going to create bias. Your, your action would be to deny the project or to approve it with yeah. some other conditions and explain what that is, and staff's here to help you do that, articulate yeah. why it is. And uh, I'll, I'll clarify another thing. Um, we have to work with the laws that the council has approved. Right. The, the, the zoning laws are in, and, and that's what we've got, the parking ratios, densities, that's what we've got to work with. So none of us have the purview to say, I don't like that standard, I'm not going to apply it. We still have to apply the standard. But right. as you mentioned, many times we have a disagreement about the facts. And that's a legitimate basis for saying, look, we think this is in error. Either we haven't studied this issue enough because there could be environmental impacts that aren't studied, here's why we think that. Uh, we need more information on the traffic report or study. 
And in those circumstances, I would suggest you always continue it over to give staff time to bring you back those. I'll give you an example. So obviously we were, we, the city, I mean, we're flooded with warehouse applicants and, and they're coming in and do all these things and, and want conditional permits and that's why they're here, obviously, or else they just start building it. Um, traffic study. Mm -hmm. So I, I made a suggestion and had questions the last time and we really, we had the traffic engineer here and I started digging into, because I, I frequent the bridge they were referring to that basically it had no impact according to this report. But when you pull back the curtain on the, the requirement of the city to do it, the traffic study is a summarization of a one hour on a Wednesday. That's clearly inadequate. And so it's like, so that is one thing that I really <laughs> like the city as soon as possible, we get a letter to have that reevaluated, the standard that's established in the city of Rialto. That's one example. Uh, because it looked clearly that we've had a lot of these things where we have the community in here and they're just like losing it on the impact of the, of the warehouse and the traffic study's done. And we've also said, I want to meet this traffic study group because how are they, because you hear it and you, you live here, so you see it. But this was an example, like I wish we would have asked this years ago because this allowed this study to be done that's rubber, that basically is just not valid in my opinion. One hour on a Wednesday on a freeway on-ramp on Riverside Avenue, for the love of God, that's ridiculous. And so those are examples of one that has clearly just stood out like something needs to be done there because uh, that was clearly a huge impact. The others is, is that we most common would get in discussion up here in the community of voicing concern is over proliferation, traffic, and um, um, air pollution. Air pollution. Uh, most often that comes up when these areas that may be zoned for a warehouse, for a small warehouse, they want to you know, put four parcels together and it's right across the street mm -hmm. from the school. So those are things that come up. Um, there's been one that came up where the developers pretty much sweetening the deal so much where he's making contributions to everything unrelated to a warehouse that look kind of odd. Um, those are things. It looked like bribery. Well, I didn't go that far, but I mean. Hush money. <laughs> I didn't go that far either. But so I just want you to know we're not just flying crazy off the seat of our pants here. These are legitimate questions we're asking. Absolutely not suggesting that at all. Yeah, because I just want to clarify that. Frame this in terms of, okay, how do you take these legitimate concerns and phrase them in a way that they need to be considered? Like, yeah. Okay. The traffic is important so I'll take, for me. You said traffic, air quality, and I think proliferation was another one. Yeah. That was last because that's much more of a zoning thing, but but I'll try to cover that. So. My recommendation, whenever the, the Planning Commission has an issue about any standard that the city has is, ask the director to put a, a study item on for your agenda to have them present to you, here's what the standard is, here's what the background for the standard is, here's how we apply it, and then you get to ask questions about it. Well, okay, why is that? You know, you can have the, the city engineer or traffic engineer come in and say, this is how we implement this. This is, this is the state standard or federal standard that we utilize or why we didn't. Yeah. And, and, and that way you can tease it out to say, okay, 
now that we understand that, here's our critique of that, or here's yeah. questions that we have that might suggest that it needs to be modified. Yeah. Um, same thing with air quality. Bring your, your CEQA folks or your AQMD uh, folks in and say, okay, here's, here's the air quality standard that we have, whether it's in your general plan, your zoning ordinance, your design guidelines. Under, have staff present to you why that standard was set, what latitude we have to adjust it. Is it something that's imposed federally or by the state? Or yeah. did we pick it at a local level? And then how can it be changed? Or could it be changed? Or, or should it be? And that's, that's appropriate fodder for your letter to the council. Right, we had this presentation, yeah. we discussed this, <coughs> and our recommendation to council is to consider changing this standard to yeah. something else, or studying it further <coughs> something else. One of the one other question for you, yeah, legal question. So it's often that when we get any housing presentation, the city goes through great length to talk about the impact on additional resources that, that homes would bring. Um, you never see that with a warehouse, which clearly brings a lot of truck traffic and all of that. Do you know of any city that has, and I'm just talking elementary here because I don't know the, the, what it would be, but some sort of like a, a Melarose or a HOA of some sort where a warehouse would have to contribute some monies that would help employ maybe another peace officer, traffic officer. You see that with housing developments where you get houses, but we're not addressing or an increased assessment that would have to be put in, aside in, in a sub fund, if you will, with the city to help repair the roads more frequently in this area where the warehouses are being developed. Have you seen any city do that? Uh, and I can let Robert respond to, I have been in two cities who have looked at, but never implemented things like a, a door tax, depending on how many doors. What would it be called, yeah, for a business? parcel tax or traffic-related okay. tax or fee. The, the difficulty with the tax is that the city can't just impose a tax. You have to take it to the voters. And uh, it's got to meet some other legal requirements. Okay. You can impose uh, an impact fee, but then it's got to meet the constitutional requirements that we talked about. Yeah. And um, then it becomes a policy matter as to whether the impose that fee or not. So the council probably have to put that to the voters to decide if, if they, if they, if they will <clears throat> wanted to do something if that it's a tax, if it's a, if it's a fee that fits within the exceptions of what we call prop 26, uh, or if it's a development impact fee that goes under the yeah. mitigation fee act, uh, then the city can impose it, but again, it's got to meet those yeah. standards. And I'm, so I'm really clearly in the diffs because you got the developers that beat down the staff to, to wave out of them. They don't even want to pay them to begin with. So that would be another thing uh, on some of these fees. Okay, I was just curious if you've ever seen that. Uh, you've, you've mentioned you mentioned proliferation, John, and I think yeah. I take that to mean... Like we're done. Uh, that you had... It's too many. Too many warehouses. Yeah. Okay, over-concentration of warehouses. Yes. Uh, Yes, I mean, the city is in control of whether it wants to put a moratorium on warehouses. Whether yep, that's mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. a lot of cities lot of around us are doing that, that right now. Yeah. Well, yeah. well you know, there was a, there's a bill being considered right now by the state to stop certain warehouse development in the Inland Empire overall. Right? Yeah, let's do it. I would never recommend it because I like to support yeah. uh, local, local control. It's for you all to decide. But that's a real policy issue. But it's a policy issue that... Yeah. that 
this letter that I was talking about is appropriate. You have a discussion about it as an agenda item, as a recommendation to the city council about whether there should be uh, a limit on warehouses. I don't know that it'll be well received. It might be well received, but that's the forum that you do it in. You don't do it in a particular warehouse discussion yeah. on a project. You do it as a, let's, let's look at how many warehouses. Um, community development director, please bring us back a report on the status of warehouses in the city, uh, proximity, how many do we have available acreage, vacant, yeah. things like that. And then, based on those facts, you can do a letter to council that uh, at least three of you approve that recommends some type of action. It's bifurcated from the actual item. That's right. Is there, is there a way of, of uh, doing this letter in such a way that we don't do any spec building. And by that, I mean that yeah, almost every project that comes before us is a spec building. It has no tenant at the time it's gonna be built. We allow it to go through and they're guessing how much truck traffic, they're guessing yeah, the auto track, they're guessing if it needs a signal light, they're guessing a lot of stuff here. And when it's said and done, a typical example would be they did a spec building and it had this amount of truck traffic and so on and so forth. That building ended up being bought by Black and Decker and the truck traffic, of course, doubled from what was presented to us. When we get these presentations, is there a way that we could do a letter to the city council saying that there should be a tenant for every building that's being built as a warehouse. Uh, my opinion, Robert might differ. I know it's shocking <laughs> that attorneys might have different opinions, but um, I don't think the city can legislate that you have to have a tenant when you build an allowable use under your zoning code. They just have to meet the conditions that are put in place. That's right. However, what you're talking about is the maximum footprint of impact. And what I hear you saying is, hey, we're getting projects that come before us that target kind of the mid-range, and that's what's studied instead of the maximum extent yeah. of the project. Uh, I, CEQA really encourages you to say, look, of all of the uses that are here, what's going to have the maximum impact that could be developed? So when you go through that big stack, which is why I'm suggesting you got to do your homework, you need to look at what environmental review was done. Yeah. Read uh, if it's a categorical <clears throat> exemption, if it's a mitigated negative declaration, you know, uh, if it's an EIR, read through those and say, okay, how have they treated? What's, what's the maximum impact that has, has been studied here? And it should meet whatever that is. If it doesn't, then, well, it, it's even, even like generally, generally the, um, Standard has been, and in my opinion, has been at the very lowest level of acceptability, yeah. not like at a higher standard for traffic. Okay, that and that's where I have a problem with a lot of this, because I think, well, we we say it's okay because we want to bring in the, the money and all that kind of stuff, but we need to set up some parameters where we can say this is benefiting the city and the the residents. We just don't need warehouses because we want to get the money in. We need to take care of the residents too. 
I think the I, I don't know that we have any uh, actual buffer zones for warehouses. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Paul. If we do, then yeah. I would like to know what they are. Yeah, and I think too, like 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 Frank is saying, this like our standard is the floor in the city. Like for example, like the traffic, we consider a recommendation of a D rating. Who gets D's in school with a with a recommendation to do anything? That's what we're trying to. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. And what you're generally talking <laughs> about is is saying, hey, yeah. we think the standards the city has in place now, whether it's level of service on an intersection, or what triggers an EIR traffic study mm -hmm. formality, yeah. those are too low. So, those are things you want to have a report from staff on, and then draft a letter to council or city council. Yeah, I like Look, to do that. Our standard is this. We think it should be here, and here's our reasons why. Okay. Yeah. Now that requires a lot of homework on on all of you to go through the facts and listen and, and kind of come up with what that standard is, and the council's not under an obligation to accept it. Right. But at least you're articulating to them a concern that the community has with you on the front line that can be taken in the appropriate way and and with decorum. And, you know, you do it with respect. Part of your job to be here is to see what happens on the front line and communicate that to the top brass. That's the appropriate mechanism to do it. It's well thought through, you get input from staff, and you can give a rational explanation or recommendation to the council. Yeah. And that's what we're all asking for. Just give us some information where we can make a good judgment of what's going to benefit the community. I look at it, the community, the benefit for the community because we don't have residents to live here, <laughs> who's gonna pay, pay the taxes? Yeah. I will say, until you get the standards changed, you do have to live with the standards. I know, that's, that's yeah. the problem. So, yeah. Um, yeah. that's the problem. Yeah, and, and just saying, oh, standards are too low, we're gonna deny it, that's not a defensible no, no, no. decision on our part. And, and unfortunately, um, and I'm not saying that you gentlemen are doing this, but some planning commissions can fall into, we're just gonna deny everything. Well, what ends up happening then is the Planning Commission loses credibility mm -hmm. uh, with developers, it hurts the city, doesn't do the Planning Commission any good, um, which is why I phrased this, let's make defensible decisions and channel these in the right way. I do think, you know, it, it, every Planning Commission I've ever worked with has really meaningful things to say. Sometimes we struggle with how to say those things to the council in the appropriate form and in the appropriate way. You have a question to answer. Yes, sir. I watched, I listened to you speak about what prog project that would come to us. Maybe we don't have the complete facts on it. So we have to let it go through because we're not sure what the facts are on that project is. Why would you do that? Say what? Why would you let it go through? Yeah, we can continue it. Say that again? If you don't feel like you have the necessary facts, why would you let it go through? I, okay, I thought you said if it's facts from the planning department, if they said it's the fact that, for example, like we have a lot of, we have Riverside Avenue over the freeway. You know, they are saying that uh, they are building new lanes for the new traffic coming years down the line. But we feel that the traffic there is really too, it's really too bad. But, but they have the they have the facts on what the traffic report was, so we have no say on that. 
Well, uh, two things. One, how you feel isn't important. It's not a basis for decision. Yeah. So what you need to do is work with staff to pull out those facts, right? The, the, every standard that the city has set is based on some objective standard. Mm -hmm. It could be higher, it could be lower. That's a policy decision. What you need to decide is, okay, what facts are there that suggest that this standard should be higher? It ends up being a policy decision to do that, but staff is capable of providing you with facts that say, here's the benefit and detriment of having a higher or a lower standard. Mm -hmm. There's always be two sides of the coin, and that's the, the beauty of making policy decisions. You're gonna make some people happy, you're gonna make other people unhappy, but you get to do that. Your, your role is to determine what, what facts support your argument to council that this should be a higher standard. You have to apply the standards in place, but you can always recommend to council that a different standard be put in place. Yeah, that was, that's the one we're talking about. It was one hour on a Wednesday. I have another question for you, and this is on, on me. I sometimes disagree with the uh, other commissioners, and I've said, uh, well, they said, well, why don't you present it to the council? And I don't have any problem with that. But is that a good procedure? I always like to take him outside, give him a couple, you know, <laughs> kidney shots and bring him back in. On so the knees? <laughs> uh, if you disagree with the decision of your fellow commissioners, you're entitled to state that. You get to vote no. It doesn't have to be a unanimous decision. What I would suggest if you disagree, state the reasons why. Not because you feel or you think or believe, right, but, right. Uh, you know, you know, Dale, I think you're missing this fact. Or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, Jerry, we're, I think this report is inadequate because it doesn't look at this particular okay. impact. Okay. Uh, and then you can ask, you know, ask Daniel. Daniel knows all the answers to everything. You know, ask Daniel, <laughs> Daniel, why doesn't this report do that? Does it have to? Does it not? Things like that. He's always happy to give any answers. Okay. Any more questions, gentlemen? Yes, sir. There, <clears throat> there's been a challenge with getting the Planning Commission and City Council together to have a joint meeting so we could air out the direction that both of us are going. And that goes back a number of years. How, how does the Planning Commission overcome that? Well, you've got to convince the people who appointed you that a joint meeting is a good idea and that it's gonna be productive. And one of the reasons I'm suggesting sort of some of these study sessions and recommendation letters is to start framing an agenda, an objective agenda, not, not we think you're doing a bad idea or we disagree with you, but a reason thought through, we think that there should be some different standards or different, and then you can, then you can have a reasoned discussion about that. Um, I don't think any council anywhere is ever inclined to have a joint session where they're going to get jumped upon by a planning commission or members of the community on an unpopular item. That's especially just human especially if they appoint the commission. Certainly could. I've suggested to council that you know you all serve at their pleasure at, at their get pleasure. Yeah. I could pick a new council if they wanted to. Obviously, you're all still here, so that seems to me that there needs to be some dialogue. This is my best suggestion to start that dialogue. 
Yeah, all we're looking for really is a dialogue, not, you know, I know that we're not equal to them because we are, serve at their pleasure, but we would like to at least get a, some kind of a, a feel for what their thinking is because they come out with kinds of decisions that don't gel with what we're trying to do. And, and that's okay, I guess, I don't know. Well, I'd like to be able to say that uh, the reason for that is because they're applying all of the standards and rules as they are and you're not, but that is not an easy answer. You're clearly looking at the standards and trying to apply them to projects that you think difficultly fit within them. They're trying to look at and apply the standards to projects that sometimes difficultly fit within them too. So. Um, but you, you know yourself that we're accepting a project, we're also accepting a level D in level service. as okay. You yourself, if you brought home a D on your report card, your dad would kick your ass, you know? <laughs> but you know what, that's the fallacy about those levels of service. You know, A, B, C, D, they don't have anything to do with good, bad, or anything. In many instances, a level of D is a fine level of service. It, it, based on those, that's why I suggest have, have your staff go through that with you so you understand what that is. I don't even know that level of service is the best measure of traffic or traffic flow anymore. Um, but we always hone on, oh my God, D is horrible. And I've said that before too. You got a D in class, that's awful. Um, but that's not necessarily what that means in terms of service level. So you need to understand it and, and make your staff articulate it in a way that paints a picture for you of what, what it means. Uh, you know, number of cars going through there, what is, do a graphic of how many cars that is within an hour or something like that. And that's helpful, that way you can understand. Um, I, I have to do that and all that traffic stuff is it's too smart for me, that's why I became a lawyer, not an engineer. <coughs> if, if there's, yeah, I'll just, I'll just ask, if there's a, uh, clearly there's a concern around traffic studies, traffic engineering, yeah. traffic impacts and everything else. Um, we can work with our, our city engineer and our traffic engineer that is an outsourced entity, but they're certainly experts in this space. And we can bring them back to a future planning commission meeting and they can give us a traffic traffic study, traffic analysis, traffic you know, planning 101 yeah, um, to help us understand level D service and, and, and it, there's many other things that you'd be interested to hear too. And we can coordinate that with staff and bring back a presentation and you can fire away all the questions and dig deep into that subject matter as well. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and if, it's an, if there's any adjustments in like thresholds, you know, minimum criteria and stuff mm -hmm. like that, we can discuss how we can go about that too. Yeah, that may help that would facilitate, be good. It may help facilitate a letter yeah. that you may want to have us help you produce. Perfect. In what, the meantime, <laughs> when you do your decisions, make sure to apply the laws and standards that are in place. Right, right. One more thing that I'd like to bring up is the, uh, the roads. They're torn up by these great big uh, trucks. And they're fixing them at, probably in about two or three years, they're going to be torn up again. And how do we work with the state? And maybe you might don't have the answer. How do we work with the state or ask the council to work with the state to see about getting some money so we can keep the roads a little bit better? You know, I will say from all of the council meetings that I've been to, your council is painfully aware of the conditions of, the, of your roads. Uh, it's a high priority for them and 
they are always looking for grant funds to mm -hmm. improve the roadways. So it's a matter of how you score. Uh, I know that planning and engineering staff constantly looking for grant funds um, to fix the roadways. Yeah. And well, I mean, you, you know here, I drive on the streets that you drive on and, and some of them are tough sometimes. But you know what? It's a common problem. It's not just here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, go to, I go to cities, some cities, they're, they're 10 times worse as yeah. here. Um, I have clients out in the desert and that hot desert dry sun and then some <laughs> of the cold really breaks up that, you know, slurry seal pretty quickly on top and those, that can be miserable. So they're, they're all after it too. Um, you really want to do something with the state? Go talk to your uh, state assembly member and senator and complain that you're not getting enough local funds for roads. Okay. Because that's who controls the money. That makes sense. And, and, and the city does have a pavement management report, which is uh, uh, an intensely studied, um, you know, pavement management analysis of all the road conditions on each and every road segment in the city. Every city pretty much has one. It's how you uh, apply for grant funds from Caltrans to get highway safety improvement you know, program funds for intersections and paving projects. We've paved a, a number of miles of road this just in the last year. You've seen it on Riverside Drive and a couple mm -hmm. others. But when you add it all up at the end of the day, it may be you know one percent of the roads that we actually have, right. and so you do it every four years as you you know accumulate funds from gas tax or other sources and so forth, and it just it, it really covers you know road, road maintenance can be scheduled like every fifty years. I've seen reports in Riverside County, this road is scheduled to be paved and maintained every one hundred years. Well, that's absurd, but you can imagine how big that place is. County area. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and so then you have a place like Blythe that won't get that road paid for many, many years. Mm -hmm. But we do have the documentation, we do have the analysis and the studies, our CIP program, or capital improvement program under mm -hmm. our public mm -hmm. works, you know, area is, you know, manages those, those types of projects and then we roll them out regularly. Um, and so it may take another couple of years to put together another 10 roads to repave. Um, but every city's doing this um, and, and it, and it, as you drive all the roads, it makes a dent. What we need is more, like we were just talking about, we need more funds to do more roads. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a short of it. Um, but we do have capacities and abilities to actually leverage grants from Caltrans to you know, take our local funds farther. And it makes a bigger dent, but it's still a dent. Yeah, well they have the, uh, I know the federal government has some funding, the state has funding, the county has funding. Mm -hmm. So, and the city can, you know, they all kick in a little bit and, we can get things done. Yeah. What, what do we do with stuff like uh, a few years ago, they had a measure, a ballot measure, state of California voted for it. It was a tax, gas tax increase, and it was for highway and road repair. We voted yes, it passed. They went into session in January and they voted to have that measure put in the general fund and it passed. Is there anything we can do about any of that? <laughs> well, um, I'm not familiar with the specifics of what happened or how it was programmed in the general fund, uh, but certainly if it's uh, with regard to the amount of money that we got from the state, again, go see your state senator and your state assembly member, um, 
And I suppose you could ask Colby about where that where those funds went. <laughs> I I could just I, I just know because I you know I sit right there when I'm in a council meeting and I'm painfully aware of uh, how a sense of urgency that the council feels about all of the roads and spending money on the roads. I mean, I, it's got to be, if not the top, one of the top priorities for the council. They talk about it at almost every meeting. Every time it comes up, one or more of the council members on, how do we get more grant funds? Where's more money? Uh, so they're on it. But you talk to them yourselves, each individual, and I think you'll get that same impression. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thank you You've for been, your time. Thank you. Very educational. <laughs> <laughs> yes sir um, just a, a few things that um, have either taken place or are out in the future we just had a, a grand opening yesterday mm -hmm. for our Metrolink uh, affordable uh, development project uh, there's 55 units there I know uh, Commissioner Gonzalez was there uh, and others and there's some articles out today that are um, out there with some photos of the project is very successful um, we are in some discussions with another affordable developer looking to do another project similar to that out on Foothill uh, but they still need to do their due diligence and and get their numbers dialed in and their gap funding and things of that nature but we do have more interest in doing a project that could be double that size you know more like 100 units mm -hmm. um, so we look forward to something like that our next meeting is gonna be on March 6th and um, one of the or two of the upcoming policy items that are important for the city is next Tuesday we have our Foothill Central specific plan amendment coming to the council uh, we we really look forward to an approval on that that's a two-year project in process that's taken hold and has had a lot of community outreach with over a dozen meetings and you know in the physical space in the virtual space and and, and you know on, on and on We've uh, exhausted the grant to its fullest capacity, and um, we're at the end where we feel we have a lot of good land use zoning opportunities for landowners um, to deliver all the objectives that the Economic Development Committee and the City Council has already opined on and given direction for. So we hopefully uh, anticipate you know an approval next week on that. We also have a general plan update, which uh, I know you are aware of seen before. That general plan update will come in the next month or so to the Planning Commission um, and be pre presented to you for a few different elements of the, of the city's general plan. And, um, and then eventually that'll go to council for their approval as well. That's another grant funded project that's basically at the end of its run as well. Um, but I think we've hit all the marks that we uh, planned and that was in the goals and objectives of the project. So forthcoming policy projects and then we have land development projects that of course will be coming through from either Paul or Daniel Casey or Daniel Rosa so, and that's pretty much it good deal any move to adjourn well, one move thing to adjourn second good. Oh, awesome. thank you all right guys <laughs> <laughs>